Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter, and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boendick people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Fiona Valentine. Fiona is a visual artist and a business coach for artists based in Melbourne, Victoria, and she's a mum of two. Fiona grew up as a creative child. Her mother enjoyed drawing. She was influenced by her and received her first oil paint set at the age of 12. She did some training in high school to hone her skills in oils and drawing. After high school finished, Fiona took a trip overseas. It was during this trip that she met her husband and her life took on a whole new adventure. At 23 years of age, Fiona found herself with a newborn baby living in a mud house in Niger in Africa. She put aside her art, feeling that in light of the poverty and suffering around her, that it felt frivolous. It didn't seem like it had a place. This was a decision that she has since regretted. During her 30s, Fiona was back in Australia with two children. She then realised how crucial her art was to her life balance. She taught herself watercolours and acrylics. She delved into training, joining the Australian Guild of Realist Artists. The life-changing training she received led her to share her love of artwork and to become a business coach for artists. Fiona credits her deep relationship with God as a huge support in the time where she delved back into her creativity. This episode contains discussion around postnatal depression, autism and Asperger's syndrome. The music you'll hear today is from Australian New Age ambient music trio, Alemjo which features myself, my sister, Emma Anderson, and her husband, John. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Lovely to meet you, Fiona. Lovely to meet you too. Nice to meet somebody who's podcasting on this continent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Melbourne. Yeah, oh, lovely. My mum was born in um, Altona, down at the beachside suburb, so... Spent a lot of time going to Melbourne over the years. So. Yeah, we. Uh, my sister was born in Adelaide, so oh, for a while yeah. our family were there. So we've been done the South Australia Victoria run. Yeah. So have you gone through Mount Gambier much on your way between there? You go the the upwards the upwards route. Well, we were actually in Mildura for a few years, so we often ah. went also between Mildura and Adelaide. Yeah, I've done that, and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think we went through Mount Gambier very often. Is that where yeah. you are? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm down in the mount. Yep. <laughs> Not many people like that I talk to on here know Mount Gambier at all. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know people have lived there, but I don't think I've ever actually been there. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I was born here, but I've lived all over. I grew yeah. up pretty nomadic childhood, and I lived in like four countries the first 
five years I was married. Oh, wow. So, we've been settled in the same street in Melbourne for nearly 20 years now, which yeah. is great. <laughs> that would be really hectic, like moving, like countries, let alone moving, you know, towns, moving countries. Yeah. yeah. You get good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you probably wouldn't like want to accumulate too much stuff either because you sort of, you, you know, when you go Why? to the next place, you'd be like, oh, don't want to take too much baggage, I suppose. Yeah, you learn you don't want to have to carry too much with you. But you also learn too, I think, that objects, are they have a sacredness about them and you can't just clear out everything because they hold our stories yeah. and you want to take some of that familiarity and comfort with you, even on in an overseas move, which gets trickier because you have to weigh everything. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. You're a watercolour artist and you are an art coach as well. Can you share sort of how you got into painting, like growing up, what you, was was that sort of your main art form? Were there any influences how you got into it? I really, I just always enjoyed uh, the idea of being creative and painting and drawing were very interesting to me. My mum was really supportive and she liked to sketch and I still have, um, my first oil paint box that she bought me when I was 12. And I got some really good training uh, when I was in high school, living in the country, uh, just a really tiny school. But we did um, some courses on drawing and watercolour. So mm -hmm. I got some good skills early on, which was really helpful. And then later I, had, I worked with an artist who taught us how to draw from little still life settings and things like that, gave me a bit of oil painting tuition but then I didn't really do a whole lot with it I went overseas after high school and I thought I was going on a six-month trip to teach kids to read yeah. and the trip got extended I met my husband we uh, got married here in Australia and went back overseas so my life took a little bit different path than I thought it was going to mm. and so I found myself with a new baby in a mud house in Africa uh <laughs> thinking that my creativity felt really self-indulgent and frivolous and I made a really bad decision to just sort of put it aside because in light of poverty and suffering and it it just didn't seem like it had a place but mm. that was just you know at 23 what did I know <laughs> I, yeah. I, if I'd had another voice at the time helping me see how these things could work together it would have been really helpful but instead you know, I hit my 30s. My, I had two girls by now. I was back in Australia and I really started to understand how core creativity was to me as a person, to all human beings. We're just, we're born creative. We just don't always recognize it mm. or develop it. And I really began to treasure that and see how crucial it was to my balance and well-being as a human. Um, for me, it was a connection with God as well just that was how I was wired yeah. uh, for relationship with him so I really made it a priority I, I borrowed everything I could from the library and taught myself uh, first of all watercolor uh, and then I moved on to acrylic and then finally got my brave up to try oil and I just loved it mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I, I started to get some training then I uh, joined the Australian Guild of Realist Artists Yep. And they were running winter schools for a few years. We could go for a week and spend time with some master artists 
and it was absolutely life-changing fantastic got introduced to much more skill-based training for realism on composition and drawing and painting and color use and it was wonderful so that that really helped me build my skills and understand how to create the kind of art that I was really interested in Mm -hmm. There are so many things you've just said in there that I want to ask you about, but the one that sticks out is the mud hut (laughs) living in Africa. Can you give us a bit of background how you actually ended up there? What was the circumstances that brought you to living there? It wasn't something I ever thought would happen. When I chose this trip of going to Africa, I thought I'd be in a fairly rural setting, but for just a few months. It turned out I was in a large town that was... uh, you know, had stores and cars and all that sort of thing, electricity. And I lived with another couple. After I met my husband, we went back to that same town and we worked in an international school. So we were helping kids with transition. We did some training in the US, which actually helped us as well as everybody else on, on how to make those big moves and handle them. When you're going across cultures maybe you've spent many years in one culture and now you're moving permanently to another one just how that affects us was Mm. fascinating stuff and then we moved into Niger and we lived just south of the Sahara Desert Mm -hmm. in a very small mud village and it wasn't actually a hut although it was mud it didn't have electricity or running water it was sort of like a three-bedroom house and we we put a kitchen in one of the so-called bedrooms and nothing was really square Um, (laughs) and it was very hot. So we slept outside. Oh, wow. uh, And sort of had to run the hose at three in the morning because we were on a bit of a hill. And when the rest of the town didn't have their water on, we could actually get the hose to work and fill up some barrels with water. Oh, my gosh. So it was pretty crazy. We had some solar power. Yep. Uh, and we would go bush in our four wheel drive because we were working with nomads. So right. we would go out and stay with them, sleep on the sand. Um, the stars were amazing. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty full on existence, you know, just making yeah. sure you had clean water, putting it through the filter, baking bread, gr- grinding meat, just surviving was, and language learning was yeah. pretty tough with a, with a new baby. It was a pretty extreme pretty extreme time but we weren't there terribly long after about 18 months we came back to Australia and we we had planned to go back but um, for lots of reasons it it was clear to us it was right to stay here Mm -hmm. in Australia and we had another baby and built a life here yeah that like let alone you know take the fact that you've got a baby out of the mix that would still be incredibly challenging but then Mm -hmm. obviously that's a whole like you yeah that's like I can't get my head big. around that yeah it, it was really <laughs> big massive and for lots of reasons although I loved I loved being there and I was really committed to being there to what we were doing it also took a, a heavy toll on me and I think part of that I mean often postpartum depression can be a thing that we face whether that's mm. hormones or whatever it is yeah and being separated from my support system, 
I think that was a big part of it too. Mm, uh, yeah. A friend who's a psychologist who works with mums has identified grief, actually, if we're separated from our mother by, you know, it could be relationship reasons or, mm. or death or distance. But mm. when we don't have that mother support, that village, um, that other women in our life caring for us, we actually go through grief, but it's often not recognised. Often it's misdiagnosed as depression. Yeah. That was another piece I learned recently that made me think, aha, I think there was some of that going on, mm. plus the creative piece of making mm. that choice to think, no, 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 uh, in this context, that would just be so self-indulgent instead mm. of seeing, no, 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 it would have been something to really help me navigate yeah. that tough time. Yeah, I can certainly appreciate where you're coming from. Um, both sides of the coin there yeah I can imagine if yeah if you're yeah if you if you're worrying about having you know potable water that you 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 know that's important and then if you're using water to paint you'd think oh is that the right thing to do you know what I mean you'd be questioning this the ethics behind it I suppose like you know if people are struggling to get clean water and I'm using it to dip my paintbrush in like you know what I mean yes yes just even really simple things can feel indulgent and Uh, it there's also a strange feeling of if, if someone else is suffering then who am I to not be suffering mm. and yeah you can't go into a situation in a third world country as a westerner and not feel that there's a difference in lifestyle here there, there has to be a, if I if I didn't maintain drinking water or you know some measure of western food I probably wouldn't survive I haven't grown up learning to just deal with a particular environment yeah a harsh environment so there's some of it that's necessity but trying to work out how how much of that helps and how much just be free of it it's just the way it is and just be Mm. be myself and understand that these women around me they're enjoying their creativity it may be different than the way I would yeah. But they're embroidering, they're making designs, uh, they like the way things look mm-hmm. and they love having a new dress like I do. Yeah. They're just doing it slightly differently in their context. I didn't need to feel that way. I understand why I did. But if I'd had, I guess, probably just some more time to grow up, yeah. <laughs> if I'd had more understanding, I could have been kinder to myself. Yeah. But I think even now, you know, uh, I think people, when they see trouble in the world, they can feel like their creativity isn't as important and they need to do something that really makes a difference. And mm. they forget that actually our creativity is hugely powerful, both for our own coping with stress and for the things that we make mm. and how they help create home environments that help us cope with stress yeah. or work environments that help us be productive or healthcare environments that heal. Mm. So if if creativity mm. is something that's really your thing, whether it's music or whether it's art, it, it's so powerful. Mm. When you were saying, talking then, I just had that thought just recently with the conflict in Ukraine, that there was a footage I saw of a, a gentleman whose son had been in the hospital, had been treated in Ukraine, and as the son had been finally discharged and the, the dad played his saxophone for the... Um, Oh, the doctors and nurses and the other patients there as his little thank you. Um, and, you know, you, you think that if you play the saxophone or sing or something, you think, oh, that's so simplistic. I do that all the time. But in that context, it, you know, the, the 
joy that it can bring others and you know the emotions and the connection that it creates you know is huge you know and remembering to do that for ourselves and Mm. our own household and the people who buy our albums or buy our paintings yeah it's not just about racing off to a part of the world that's suffering and doing something about it although we feel that Mm. it's often just seeing how am I bringing the healing of creativity the joy of it to my everyday life my family's everyday life and my customers everyday life Mm. yeah that's that's so important that's a that's a massive point When you came back to Australia, when was the point that you sort of realised, I feel like I've lost myself, I've lost my creativity and I need to get it back? You talked about you started to do some reading and stuff. Was there one moment where you just went, I need to change this? Or was it sort of a gradual thing? There were a couple of moments. I knew I was underweight, struggling with my mental health, and not in a good place, which kind of surprised me because I had been so excited about being in Africa and so committed to the work that we were doing. Yeah. But that doesn't stop environments and, and even the spiritual environment. We're, we're in an, an environment where placing curses on people is a part of normal everyday life. And mm-hmm. if you've never encountered that and don't really think it's a thing, it doesn't mean it's not a thing. Yeah. So it was a lot in that environment that I was perhaps only even partially aware of. Mm -hmm. So I knew when I got back, I needed something needed to change. And I, I kind of felt like creativity was part of it. So um, gardening was a gentle beginning. As I became more confident in how important my creativity was, quilting became part of it. And then eventually I was like, okay, I, I really want to make the space for painting. And a few years had gone by at this point um and there were some some theological learnings really just um discovering that god is three persons father son and holy spirit and that their community of friendship and joy is creative that was a real light bulb moment for me as a christian going wow th- my creativity is not just my thing and a self-indulgent thing it's deeply core to the nature of god and the relationship has invited me into and for me, that was the biggest, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get yeah. why this is core to who I am and to my life and to my relationship with God. And it gave me the freedom to say, I'm going to pour resources at this time. Mm. Um, I'm going to invest in growing my creative skills and, and drawing and painting in the way that I've been wanting to um, for years. I've been dabbling with music and gardening and quilting, but yeah, just, it gave me the, yes, let's dive in. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Almost like that, that um, not permission, but that reassurance, I suppose that you felt like, yes, this is, this is it. And this is important and, and it yes. is a value. And I can see, yeah, that I'm supported in this, I suppose as well. That yeah. You felt really, sure. really comfortable with that. Yeah.
So you also work as an art coach. Can you share with us about what you do there? I've been teaching drawing and painting for a few years and that was how I made the transition from being an admin manager. After homeschooling my kids, I needed a job. They went to school and that's what I ended up doing. I learned a lot of business skills doing that and then I just the desire to paint more got really strong. Yeah. So I built up um, workshops and classes on the side until I could replace my salary. And during that process, that teacher part of me really came alive again. And so I've been juggling my own painting and teaching for quite some time. And I started to have this desire to teach beyond just the class session because mm-hmm. I could see the transformation that was happening in people's lives. So I started luxury art retreats where women could come for three days. We went to the Yarra Valley, stayed in a beautiful country hotel, and I taught them my six keys to painting. And just watching their dreams come alive, because I get them to start with, who who are you? What do you love? What do you enjoy? Mm. What subject is most important to you? What style do you like the most? Start there and then just learn those things, because there isn't time to learn everything. So learn... Mm how to make the kind of art that you most like making. I mean, if you're a musician, you don't feel like you have to sing classical, jazz, country. (laughs) You you don't have to do it all. You kind of know what you like and you go with that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of took that pathway with helping my students find focus and then watching these women come alive and realising as I was growing my own art business and investing in courses and coaching, learning aha, uh-huh. this message I'm hearing so often that it's really hard to sell art mm. or you need to get into art shows and win awards or you need to get gallery representation and this is how you do it. I started to think, no, I think there's another way. And I started to realise the entrepreneurial opportunity of the internet for artists. Yep. So I started building how to help artists move on from painting to being able to do what I'd done and create a side hustle from their art and even a full-time business and Mm. so now that's really what I focus on Uh, as a business coach for artists Mm. I've created the profitable artist method Mm -hmm. and I teach artists how to get clarity on what they really want to make and who it's for get clarity on how much time they want to spend and how much money they want or need to make and to build a simple business and marketing plan from there. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Because I think there is, there is this, um, I don't know what the word is, but this, this misconception, I suppose, or this, this way we see the starving artist, you know, that, you know, art's not a real job. You can't make money out of art, you know, and you're basically kicking that to the curb and going, no, actually, if you do it in the, you know, particular way, in a particular method, then there's so many opportunities for making a living from your art. For sure. I believe real artists don't starve, they thrive. Mm. Yep. But it does mean recognising that as an artist, you're not only an art ambassador, you're also an artist entrepreneur. You're in business if you want to make a living from your art. And that mm. doesn't, that's not selling out. That's mm. not compromising your creativity. It's an yep. extension of it. Mm. Yeah, so it's looking at it in a different way of, you know, taking ownership of and, and seeing it as a business rather than, I don't know, 
just a hobby whatever else it is yeah 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 Yeah. and that's a and that could be a challenging mindset I think for for some people to sort of see that and the barriers like you said that that selling out mentality which I'm putting in air quotes um that yeah it's it's if, if it's what you want then why should you be held back by you know maybe some beliefs that you've had in the past or people around you have these certain beliefs do you encounter yeah. encounter sort of that sort of pushback from people when they're they're going through that transition yes it can be there even yeah. if they don't fully believe it for themselves maybe they doubt themselves have I got what it takes yeah. or they worry it's about talent how do I know if I'm talented enough whereas actually I think the more we understand brain science the more we realize the people we have thought were the most talented have actually benefited from training and practice those mm. are skills that have been developed it's not really even in the case of someone like Mozart it's not mm. just about talent it's about the environment the training the practice the discipline that's really liberating because if you can learn art skills to grow your art ability you can also learn business skills to grow Mm. that even if you're not techie or you've never had business experience there are some really simple things you can do to make sure that as you create work you share that work with people who love what you love and can afford to buy it and you make a buying experience, which these days we can do online mm. so that they can buy from you and you create this whole ecosystem using social media and an email list and a website. Um, so, you, I mean, you're asking about pushback. Yes, there's pushback, but really yeah. uh, there are a lot of people who hold on to this sort of toxic, suffering, starving artist thing. Mm. I just think, why? You don't need to. So ask yourself, do I want to thrive? Do I want to make art I love and make a living and build a life I love? Or do I want to starve? Mm. <laughs> For me, the... <laughs> I know which one I want. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. I want to talk a bit about your own children. Can you share? You've got two children. I've got two girls and they're grown and in their 20s now. Yeah. One's a nurse and one uh, has worked as a library assistant. She's currently uh, doing some writing and um, working, helping me actually quite a bit at home and yeah. Are they arty at all? They, yes and no. Uh, yeah. No in the sense that neither of them have a desire to be making drawings and paintings. They're yeah. both quite creative. Um, my older daughter, who's a nurse, is very creative and she really brings uh, just this amazing problem-solving, people-caring, empathic sense to her nursing and palliative care. Yeah. And the other one's come up with a really creative ways of challenging kids who don't love reading mm. to do a six-chapter challenge. That's what she calls it. Read yeah. the first six chapters of this book I recommend, and if you still don't like it, I'll give you another one. <laughs> By the time they get six chapters in, they're hooked. Yeah. She's made lots of converts. So, yeah, their creativity comes out in different ways than art.
that sort of um, goes back to what you were saying earlier about how we are innately humans are creative beings but I think there's a lot of people that discount that in themselves and even some women that I've approached to be on this podcast um, perhaps are looking at themselves a different way to what I am as as an outsider I see someone who is creating something who's you know has created something from scratch and is and is making it work and making changes to it as they go and I see that as a creative person and they'd say oh but I don't make anything it's like well it's not about necessarily making something and having something in your hand that right yeah can you can you sort of expand on that a little bit yeah my husband Mike is a lean specialist these days and I don't know if you've come across lean but it's a whole Mm. uh, system of tools and behaviors that helps businesses to work efficiently it helps them to value people and use tools and systems so that they can reduce waste Mm -hmm. reduce overwork not pass on poor quality things like that so it makes millions of dollars worth of difference to big companies but the principles are really amazingly simple and helpful so as he and I have talked over the years you know having a glass of wine sitting down he's talking about lean I'm talking about art talking about our day we've just seen how many of these things come together so I actually created a a program for businesses called the art of innovation using classical drawing to help businesses see 50% of people don't think they're creative Mm. the reality is 100% of us are and if you're going to have a business committed to continuous improvement You've got to help your people tap into their creativity. They're not going to be creative if they don't think they've got the goods. Mm, so yeah. art and drawing can be a great way to realise, oh, with a bit of training, oh, my goodness, look at that amazingly realistic foot I just drew Yeah. with these three steps you just taught me. Wow, okay, I'm more creative than I thought. And it's not mm. that being creative is about making art, as you said, or making anything. It's about recognizing I have this potential to think of something, to think about it, to think about the problems, to think about the solutions and to make changes. Mm-hmm. And my thinking and my ideas want to understand how my brain works and how I make tiny new connections that feel so awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and how they can grow. And with repetition, they can practice and develop until we've got like these super highways of information in our heads where things Mm. travel quick, fast. Then we can have the courage to grow and change at work and Mm. doing things new ways, problem solving, uh, collaborating where we've got different opinions coming together. We can realize this feels really uncomfortable right now, but as we persevere, we're going to get through it. We're going to come through to the solution Mm. and and drawing models that process that life process so these workshops are powerful in helping businesses unlock their creativity for all of the applications within business Mm. because yeah you're right it's like I I think and COVID sort of presented so many opportunities for looking at doing things in different ways yeah and unless somebody feels as though they've got the confidence to think differently or think like that but they won't I think and then if you like you said you you open up one tiny little bit of creativity where they can physically see that they're capable and then you you must just see them thrive they must just go oh my gosh what else am I capable of you know and it gives them that confidence to share their ideas and to look at things in different ways and 
challenge exactly. things. Yeah. And once yeah. you've got those neural pathways in your head, if you struggle through the awkward learning phase, the learning phase of anything feels like trying to write with your with the wrong hand. If you've mm. ever broken an arm and had to write with your other hand, it feels terrible. Yeah, yeah. If you've never done it, try it. It's awful. <laughs> that feeling is like uh, that's what learning anything feels like, but you get through it and then those neural pathways are available for different skills. Mm, and that's where it gets yeah. really exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's like you just because it worked for one thing, then your brain can connect it to 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 sort of reach other outcomes that possibly weren't yeah. able to be accessed before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating. That's like very clever to be able to recognize that you could put those two things together and and make something that's of such value. Because I feel like at different times, you know, the government comes out with these different ideas that they're going to train the next generation of whatever and these these jobs haven't been thought of yet and and stuff like that. But then you think, how do they actually do that you know it doesn't make sense to me but then you you say something like this that makes perfect sense like you know I don't yeah. know it's like you're just you're discovering things that haven't you haven't had the chance to discover before because your brain hasn't been like that yeah that and sense. that process that you're talking about um Michael Gelb who wrote a book called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci he yeah. says that creative endurance is the most distinctive trait of highly creative people and it's that ability to push through it when it feels yuck, mm. when it feels uncomfortable, unfamiliar, uh, I'm, I suck at this, I, I can't do it. Yep. And you realise this is just a phase. Mm. And you get some help, you get some training, you do some practice, you persevere, and pretty soon you've got a new skill. Mm. That's what people need, that I am creative, I can learn new things. If we give that to people, then, yeah, we can problem solve change careers, yeah. do whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That is really cool. One of the things I like to talk to my mums about on this show is the concept of mum guilt. Do you sort of find, we'll talk about yourself, but I also want to talk about people that you, you work with. Is that something that sort of holds people back creatively, mums in particular, that they feel like when they've got to do something, when they've got to paint or they've got to create, it's at the expense of their children so they feel guilty about doing it? I think it can be there. I think we're experts at coming up with guilt over all sorts of things. Am I mothering right? Am I living right? Have I done enough? Am I enough? And just recognizing that's part of the journey, particularly mm. when you pick up creativity. For some reason, creativity is just opposed. People have written mm. books about it. It's not even just internal. It's, it's yeah. something outside of ourselves. And recognizing that gives you a bit of something in your backbone that says this does matter. This is good for my kids when I'm being a whole person, when I'm being creative, when I'm modeling joy for them. Yeah. But the, I mean, the challenge is that our time isn't our own as mums. Yeah. Uh, even when our kids are grown, you know, we're an important part of the family. And so often the time we thought we'd set aside gets interrupted or changed or 
but just knowing that when we think well about creativity, when we think well about boundaries, mm-hmm. when we think well about being primarily responsible for ourselves, putting on our oxygen mask before we help someone else, if that's yeah. just a healthy way to live. Then I think I encourage the women that I work with to make space for their creativity in three ways, some time, a place, and a process. Mm-hmm. And if you need to go to the dentist or the doctor, you make time, you make mm. an appointment and understanding your creativity is healthy. It's healthy for you. It's healthy for your kids to follow and watch the way that you're choosing to live. So making mm. some time, and that's going to look different if you've got littles, um, if you've got school age kids and you're working as well, but whatever it is, even if it's just five or 10 minutes, having a few sessions a week that are in your diary, mm-hmm. the creative time. Uh, I worked with a businesswoman who was very time poor as a mum, and yep. we built her a sketchbook that she could take on the train. Yeah, right. And we built a plan, built a bunch of reference material and some training so she could whip out her sketchbook and have a few minutes to draw on the train Mm, whatever it looks like if you can make some time learn a process Mm -hmm. it's just going to really help and and to have a place to do it her place was in a sketchbook on the train which meant she had to have a little pencil bag that worked (laughs) and tools she could use without you know jabbing the person next to her (laughs) but if you you might have some space in your house it might not be a whole room but it might be a container with your art supplies so you can just pull it out on the table mm-hmm. uh, and get started. Whatever's going to work for the life stage that you're in. Mm. It might be really, really simple. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point because I think it can be daunting for anyone when they decide they're going to take up a new um, a new art or a new craft or return to it where it's like, oh, but I need all this space or I need all this time or I need to have a room for it and, you know, that can be really overwhelming and, and a real yeah. barrier. But like you're saying, it's about thinking, maybe thinking outside of that that box that you've, you've put that into, thinking outside mm. of that and saying, you know, I love that example, you know, doing it on the train, on the commute. Like I would never have thought of that. I mean, I don't have that in my life, so that's not something yeah. I would have thought of. But, yeah, that's just, it's so refreshing to think like that, that it's not limiting and it's not, um, it doesn't have to be the way that, you might have thought it had to be. <laughs> That's right. And when you yeah. take stock of how much time do I really have? Am I a yep. morning person or a night person? Where are those little pockets? And being realistic about how big they are. I, I call that loving your limits. Yeah, right. Yeah. And recognizing what they are, because actually I think it can really help you focus. If your limit, if you have a time and space limit, that might influence the medium that you choose. Mm-hmm. You might stick to drawing. Or you might choose watercolour over oils. Yep. And if you're really limited space-wise, that might uh, affect the size that you choose to work. Mm-hmm. So as you're loving your limits and working it out, you're finding focus mm-hmm. and uh, finding your style, finding your way. I know an artist who paints gorgeous portraits, but she'll just do the eye sometimes, yeah. and she'll paint it on a silver spoon. Oh, Wow. Or in a little teeny weeny uh, box, beautiful little box, flip open the lid and put a tiny little 
seen inside. Oh, wow. Just like really mind-blowingly creative stuff. So sometimes loving your limits can help you find a way that's really unique. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was about to say that's incredibly unique, isn't it? And then that, I guess that you use that as part of your um, business that you have got this uniqueness and you and you build on that exactly um yeah it's interesting isn't it I think it's a lot of it's about you know changing long-held beliefs about what it means to be an artist or be a creative definitely um, right right from the very basic of like you said finding out what you actually enjoy um like I, I'm a singer and there's no way that I would go through, like you said, sing all these different styles when I know the style that I love and what I like to sing or write about. You know, if someone said to me, you know, write, write about whatever, I'd go, well, that's, that doesn't resonate with me. And I guess it's, it's the same with your painting. It's And the medium that you want to work with and also, this, like you said, the, the thing you're interested in painting. Because um, yeah. that's going to change so much for everybody, isn't it? It really is. And I think when we start there, what do I like? What am I like as well? Mm. Where do I live? What's my personality? What drives me crazy? What colours do I love? What colours do I hate? Yeah. The, when you just look at yourself, you know yourself pretty well. Mm. Even if you haven't been paying attention, if you start paying attention, <laughs> you, you know yourself. Yeah. And starting there instead of what's the right way to do this? Yeah. Because our fear and insecurity can make us want to learn it right so that other people won't see that we don't know what we're doing. Mm. If we can yeah. get out of that mode and get into who am I, what do I like, that's a much more helpful pathway, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think too um, social media is really good at showing us the best of everybody, you know, like it's a very curated environment where people aren't going to show you the painting that that they painted over because they didn't like it. You know, you, you're comparing your starting point to someone else's finishing point. And that can be really daunting as well. It really can. Yeah. And I think that whatever that opposition is to creativity, the, the criticizing voices that come up, it can be quite surprising mm. and just recognizing that's part of it. And to, I, I tell people collect as many affirmations as you can. You're going mm. to need them. <laughs> <laughs> just keep yeah. telling yourself those kind things that yeah don't don't compare the end of their story with the beginning of your story mm. and everybody's got art they're not showing you yeah yeah that's an important thing to remember isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah oh dude, just on affirmations one of my favorite ones um there's a, a friend of mine who's a watercolor artist and I did a course with her and her thing was art has no rules and she put that on her um like the packaging that the, the the box with all the the art supplies in, um, Julia Reader, if you're listening, thank you. Um, so I've got that art uh, has no rules on my little backboard where I paint because that was my biggest thing. Um, like I'd never been a, a painter um, because I didn't know how to do it, and I thought that you had to know how to do something right before you could do it. Like I didn't do it in high school. Um, I've never really done much with it, but the more I spoke to mums on this podcast, I realized that art can be absolutely anything and done in any way. And that was my, just my lack of understanding and my own insecurities holding me back. So now I just love fluffing around painting. It's just so enjoyable. And it's another thing that I've added into my sort of creative, like care, taking care of myself. Um, yeah. It's been amazing. 
Yeah. It's exciting, isn't it, to just have those things that are holding us back knocked out of the way and it can be such a self-healing thing. My second daughter is on the autism spectrum and has a truckload of health challenges and it was very stressful, particularly when she was younger. Yeah. And just being able to go somewhere and go into another space and paint for a while was such a healing thing. Mm. And the, the whole thing about art not having rules, there isn't one right way to do it. I would add to that too, that if, if you find the, the style, the look, the kind of art that you like and you burrow into learning how to make that kind of art, you might find that there are actually some rules or principles that help you. Yeah. Which is the flip side of the freedom of there isn't one way to do it. There aren't rules. You mm-hmm. can, it can be whatever you want it to be. Yep. But if you're drawn towards detail and realism and beauty, that's okay too. That's a wonderful thing. And there are a whole lot of wisdom, learning, training rules, if you like, mm. that can assist that journey that cannot limit your creativity, but actually give it yeah. wings. Yeah, it's like so learning there's those, both those things. Yeah, it's like that. If you want to do it a particular way, there's going to be some skills that are going to be really useful for you to be able to to produce what you want to produce. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, and I feel like that with music too. Like, there's so many. There's uh, you know a billion ways you could write a song, and and it's so freeing to see people do do things but then within that there's still you know the notes on the scale they never change you know those basic things about rhythm and things like that so you've got that sort of guideline within it but then within that you can do whatever you want I suppose I said and diving into it knowing the style of music you like Mm. learning from masters within that particular style or genre of music when they give you a tip try it like this or there's this kind of pattern or you know, if you jump off from here or use this kind of key for this kind of, it's so exciting, yeah. isn't it? To get those tools from someone, you just think, oh my goodness, you can do that. Yeah. 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 That's it, isn't it? It's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You're listening to the Art of Being a Mum podcast with Alison Newman. So just coming back to mum guilt, your own personal sort of thoughts on that. Well, for me, it probably, one area, like it really came up was around not knowing what I was dealing with, with my daughter, Michaela, and her health challenges. I knew before I brought her home from hospital, something was going on. Mm. I called the doctors in, mentioned a couple of things, and they couldn't tell me what it was. So we did a round of specialists for a long time and they couldn't tell me anything except just take her home, love her, she'll be fine. And I knew there was more to it than that. And it wasn't until she was eight that my mum, who knew this journey I was on of trying to figure out what's going on with this kid because it's we're not, this is not just normal childhood milestones. Something's happening Mm. here. Yeah. And I can't figure it out. And uh, she she went back to teaching and she asked a fellow teacher, I know this kid, these are the symptoms. What, what, what does it sound like to you? And that was the first time we heard about autism or Asperger's syndrome. Hmm. 
So I started reading, did my thing, borrowed all the books from the library like I'd done learning to paint. And I just sat there reading the Oasis Guide to Autism and Asperger's in my room and the tears just started running down my face because I realised this is my kid. Somebody Mm -hmm. has just described to me what's going on on the inside and I had no idea and I could just see all the things I could have done differently, all the things I've been doing wrong and just realised what this kid had been dealing with that I was clueless about. Mm. I knew it was something, but I didn't know what it was. And it was both, you know, you feel the guilt that why didn't I figure it out before or but I could have helped. And what can you do? You Mm. you can't do anything but go on and be grateful that now you know and do the best you can to love them as you can, not as you can't. Mm. yeah that's so true and I think as mums we're really good at beating ourselves up over things that we could do absolutely nothing about things that are out of our control <laughs> yeah we've, we've got to sort of make it make it feel good for everybody and then when it doesn't it's it's our fault even if it's not our fault yeah and then when yeah. we, and we do blow it plenty of times you know we get snappy we get irritable we get bossy we get whatever unfair mm. and I think just being honest with our kids especially as they get older and just being able to say I'm sorry, I was really cranky. Or I'm sorry, yeah. that really wasn't fair. Yeah. I think that just goes a long way to because the fact is we're never going to be perfect yeah. anything. We're That's human. We're humans, yes. Just we're being honest. We're we're fatally flawed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then going to another topic I love to talk about is the concept of identity, about how the concept of your own identity changed when you did become a mum. Did you go through sort of a shift? I mean, I know you were in a really different place in the world, like um, ge- geographically in a yeah. different sort of area. But yeah, how did you sort of, how did you feel about that whole process of that change? I really wanted to be a mum. I was really keen to be a mum. I'd been married nearly four years when uh, my first daughter arrived and our whole life was so extremely different. We moved into this mud village when I was eight months pregnant. So, you know, I I was not just adjusting to motherhood. I was adjusting to a completely different existence, different language, different everything. So because that happened for me young, because I went overseas when I did and met Mike when I did, um, we, uh, he thought I was 24. I thought he was 24. Turns out there's a 10 year age gap. <laughs> I ended up being a teenage bride and a, you know, pea plate mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we came back to Australia and I had the two girls and then homeschooling them for a, a while, I, I felt like it was really in my late, later twenties and thirties that I started to figure out. So who am I? Mm. okay I'm a wife and I'm a mom and I've you know been overseas and done these things but what do I really like um Mm. yeah because I I married so young and and went overseas into an extreme situation so young I didn't even really have those late teens 20s of figuring out who you are as an adult being Mm. a single person I was already making a life with another person which was hugely transformative as it is when two opposites try and make a life together but yeah I think that discovering who I am came later and that's one of the things I love about getting older I'll be 50 this year and 
um, I love that. I don't love the fact that my body's changing, my skin's getting old, my hair's changing. <laughs> but I do, yeah. I do love the internal change of just mm. being so much more confident in who I am, having had more life experiences and knowing I just know myself better. I know my strengths and my weaknesses. And mm. um, some of those weird limiting messages, I, I've learned other things that are true that have yeah. helped. So I, I like that side of identity as you get older of just knowing yourself better and yeah. I think it's just always changing you know I, I knew I wanted to learn to paint uh, I thought teaching was the way to build more of a painting life and it's reminded me that actually I'm a teacher at heart mm-hmm. and I love that as much or more than the creative process itself mm-hmm. so for me helping artists step into their full art life their career as an artist entrepreneur that is so fulfilling for me that I'm willing to put limits on my own painting to pursue Mm, that journey because I can't do everything I'd love to be able to do everything but there's not enough hours in the day are there yeah that's it isn't it Um, but I think what you said there about um, enjoying getting older and, and coming to these realizations I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to it's something I certainly can relate to like I'm about to be I'll be 44 later this year and you know the, the best times mentally um you know you, you go through this all these things as, as a youngster about all this doubt and oh what, what do people think of me and all this judgment and you get to a point in your life where you just go oh none of that matters who gives a toss you know um and I joked with a guest um recently like everyone should think like a 40 year old woman because you you just you don't care anymore you know you've got the things in your life that are important the things that matter you've worked out yourself um and you're like no everything else can just go by the wayside (laughs) so it's incredibly liberating time of life and I think you get over the shock of oh my gosh like I thought I thought youth would last longer. <laughs> like this aging thing that used to happen to other people, it's happening to me. And there's <laughs> yeah. kind of grief about that, mm. or at least there was for me. And getting over that and realizing, ah, actually, the opportunity in the next stage of my life is actually even richer because my uh, baby making years are behind me. Uh, even my, I mean, for me, I started young. So yay, I've got adults now. Not yeah. <laughs> nobody's in school anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm free to move on to enjoying all those things I've learned about myself now in a different mm. way in this part of my life. And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can relate to you talking about like grieving changes when I had to get glasses. It was like when I finally said I have to get glasses, it was just like this, no, I'm getting glasses. Like this, the worst thing yeah. in the world that could possibly happen to anybody, you know. And I then, know it's so self-referred, but uh, I still isn't it? put yeah. my glasses on in the store. I was it's my first year with glasses too. And yeah. literally the tears welled up in my eyes because I look like an old lady to myself. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. We have these concepts of what it means to be old and get old and for me, glasses was one of those things. So then when I when I got my glasses and then I put them on and I, I went, oh, actually, they look nice. Like they don't look like my grandmother's glasses. You know, they were never going to, you know, but that's what I had in my head. And then the first time I wore them to work, I was really nervous that because I, I would, um, pardon me, worked with children for nine years in childcare. And I was thinking, oh, the kids are going to be trying to pull them off and they'll be like making a big deal. And it, I wore them for probably 20 minutes before any of the children said anything I could tell they were looking but yep. one of them come up and they said 
Al, you've got glasses on. And I was like, yeah, I do. And that was it. You know, so my own, you know, worries about how they'd be received um, yeah. was nothing to worry about. You know, we build all this, we build these stories in our minds of, of what's going to happen in life. Well, I do certainly, but yeah. and then not, it doesn't come true. And you sort of go, oh, well, that was nice. I don't have to worry so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We're funny things, aren't we? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, no. I put that down, a lot of it, to being a Cancerian. I think way too deep about everything. (laughs) Oh, dear. You talked about that your your art takes second place to to your other sort of work that you're doing but that is still your creative work isn't it like it's not as though your own the physical act of creating might not be there as much but what you've created and what you're sharing is a massive part of it um that's really important yeah. to you isn't it to be it's able to really important to me yes yeah, yeah. and I, I actually love the whole creative process of crafting a message and learning how to communicate that through social media, through my website, through an email list, yeah. communicating and cultivating that audience. I run a Facebook group for artists called The Confident Artist. Yeah. And so helping that community in their creativity and in stepping into sharing their art with the world, designing mm-hmm. the training materials, you know, and the graphics and all of that, that yeah. whole yeah. process of that teaching process of taking knowledge and experience and questions and just shared experience and communicating that with others. That's a really important creative process for me. And a part of drawing and painting is that decision fatigue is a big part. We're making so many decisions about the work all the way along, whether it's designing the idea in the first place, how we're going to compose the composition how we're going to mix the colours, how we're going to actually create those clouds or render those leaves, what the painting needs next, Mm. um, which particular method I'm going to use to solve that particular problem. It can leave you mentally drained. Mm. So in a season, I've just learned I have to have seasons. And if, if I'm in a season of making a body of work, it may not be the same season where I can be really promoting a coaching program like The Profitable Artist. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard and costly choice. But um, sometimes that just has to happen. You have to say, I'm using my creativity in this area. Mm. Yep. Um, so it might not, all, like I, I tell my students that really you need about a 50-50 balance between making your creative work and marketing your creative work. Mm-hmm. And that can feel shocking in the beginning, but it also doesn't mean that you divide up every day with a 50-50 half to each. You yeah, have to find yeah. your own rhythm. It might work for you to make in the morning, mm-hmm. market in the afternoon, but it might also mean that you have a week where you paint and then you have a week where you do the business side of things. It mm. just depends on yeah. what works better for you and you might find it works different in different seasons. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Because you can sometimes get on a real roll where all the ideas are coming and you don't want to sort of have to put a, a timer on that and say oh no no you can't do that now you can let that come and let that happen because then there's always times when you're not feeling like that so that's the times when you can do the practical work and the you know 
that other side of things that's that's really important too so yeah I mean yeah. that's the thing we things always ebb and flow don't they no one can be everything all the time at the same level you know that's yes. just it's just the nature of being a and human, especially being it? the nature of women too mm. um Kate Northrup wrote a book called uh do less more I think it's called right. and in there she talks about the fact that as women we're on a 28 day cycle Mm. Whereas men are on a 24-hour cycle. Yeah. <laughs> and in some ways we know all about that, but in other ways we don't know much about that. We, how mm. often do we expect ourselves to be on a 24-hour work cycle? And we forget the fact that our energy ebbs and flows in really different ways. And she's done a great job of mapping the kinds of energy we have at different stages. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not actually cycling like we were when we were younger, yeah. Even if you're at that life stage, you still have these rhythms of energy, rest, mm -hmm. um, being more extroverted and more introverted. Yep. Um, and that is a really helpful perspective, I think, to and to get to know yourself when you're in that, wow, the ideas are just coming, yep. capture them, go with it. And then when you're in that quieter, I'm just doing the work mode, I'm smashing mm -hmm. it out. Or you're in the extroverted making connection space, or just the, whoo, I need to refill the well. Mm. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing too. I think because, you know, as we're there's different times in our life when we're so conscious of where we are in our cycle, and then there's other times in our life where we just it's not even on our radar. So, and that's the thing to get back in touch with what where we're at and what we feel at that time and how that affects our creativity and. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to think about. Because sometimes just sneaking away for a power nap is actually going to be more productive in the long run than just trying to push through. Mm. Yeah, and that's so important. I think there's this, there's been this massive sort of focus on, I don't know what they call it, like the, you, you've got to be productive all the time. You're smashing out things and you've got the, oh, I can't remember what, they used to be this hashtag about, oh, I don't know. Do you get where I'm coming from? all that hustle culture sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. And you've just, yep. and it's almost like rest was something that you'd give yourself as a reward, not as something that is part of just your, your regular life, I suppose. And yeah, I feel like it's changing. There's definitely, I mean, certainly in the people that I follow, there's this idea that we have, I mean, the old self-care Sundays that the hashtag still gets around, but it's, I don't know, you, you can be mindful of that anytime of the day and like you said if you feel like you need a nap because that's going to make you more productive later then do it you know and that yeah. and that comes down to judgment too that you know what how, why are you sleeping in the middle of the day you know aren't you supposed to be doing something you know all those little voices from I don't know maybe a capitalist or a patriarchal sort of society come into our head and say oh, what are you doing that for <laughs> yeah and not recognizing that creativity doesn't like to be on 24 seven mm. and you've actually probably only got about four hours max of that really intense work new work uh creative work mm -hmm. in you and if you do any more in a day of that kind of work you're probably going to be in creative debt the yeah. next day so yeah. mixing it up with admin housework whatever without breaking concentration but just knowing your limits mm. learning to feel where, where you're at is this the time to go with the flow is this the time to say okay that's enough and also brain science is fabulous in this recognizing there are different ways our brain works different 
aspects of our brain for different tasks. And when we stop and go away and do something different, like take a walk, take a shower, take a nap, uh, chop vegetables, back in the floor, your brain flips into this different zone. And when Mm -hmm. it's in that zone, it's almost like neutral. What it does is it starts making connections between all of these completely different areas in your brain, ideas, Mm -hmm. thoughts, memories, experiences, and it starts making solutions that are completely unique. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Like I find um, it's almost like, I think, did Einstein call it the theta state or the theta state? It's something to do with when your brain's at rest and it doesn't have to be actual meditation. It doesn't have to be laying down meditating, but it's like you're doing um, a a repetitive or um, I don't want to say mindless because, but you're basically like the chopping vegetables. When you said that, it's like you're doing a repetitive thing and your body goes into like muscle memory and it just does it. Yeah. And then that gives your mind the time to, like you said, makes the connection and you're not conscious of it. It's not a thing that you're thinking necessarily, but yes. like the shower, going in the shower and walking are the two biggest times I get ideas. Yes. It's like you're just open and stuff just comes in and it's just amazing. And then I quickly get out of the shower and just record things on my phone. Or Exactly. <laughs> I know you need a whiteboard in the shower. Yes. <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? Like you need you need the ebbs and flows and your body has to have time and your mind has to have time to process things and then yeah. get you ready for the next lot of whatever you're doing. And as a mum, if you can embrace that, mm-hmm. it just works, doesn't it? Because we spend a heck of a lot of time chopping vegetables and cleaning things and driving and, yeah. uh, and, and we need to exercise, you know, just to keep mm. ourselves together yeah. and walking such a great way to do that. Those things can be part of our life. And when we realize I'm not beating myself up while I'm doing those things mm. about all the things I haven't done yet, yeah. I'm relaxing and recognizing this is a really powerful part of the rhythm. Mm. And if I'm open, I, I'm excited to see what floats into my head yeah. potentially while I'm chopping broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That is so awesome. So I, um, I do a lot of yoga and it's that the, the best stuff is like you do all your asanas and do all the movement, do some breathing. And then you have your nice meditation and you have a heavy Shavasana and it's like, okay, what can you give me now? Like, you, you know, you, you're so open and you're so relaxed and your body's in that, that stage. And then you can just, you just get the best ideas. I just, I do anyway. I just I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, a yoga practitioner at all, but I do like silent meditation for, mm-hmm. yeah, just, I, well, I should say, I don't necessarily love the doing of it, but yeah. I love the effect of it and yeah. learning that just even 10 minutes of silence, just ignoring the chatter that my mind comes up with, mm-hmm. actively just letting it go that, yeah, it, you, it does put you in an amazing place to think clearly and be more energized doesn't it mm. oh yeah I, I'd, I'd always get up from my um shavasana and my yoga teacher she'd be like okay what have you got for us this time like she because it was become this joke that I'd just be like oh guess what I just thought of or what song I just came up with like it was just yeah it, yeah I just love it
if there are people in your audience who are wanting to learn to draw or paint, dive into that part of their creativity, then come come find me at the Confident Artist Facebook group. There's a lot of people in there who are enjoying their um, creativity together at all different levels. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a blog on my website that's got some really helpful tools and tips for um, enjoying your creativity, learning to draw and paint. And if you're already painting and drawing and you're thinking, can I do this? Could I really make money doing something I love? How do I even start selling art? Then head to my website, fionavalentine.com. I've got a free guide on how to start selling your art that talks about how to get clarity and how this works, how to think about your pricing. And there's a lot of other resources there on my website. You can find out about the coaching program, the Profitable Artist Method. Mm -hmm. And if you've got questions, just let me know. There's a button where you can hop on a free call and we can talk about your creative journey and how you can get some support. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, what's the best way to to go ahead and, and get in touch? But you've just answered that for me beautifully. Thank you. And also on your website, you've got some information on. Oh, yes. The Art of Innovation Workshop. Yes. You'll see that in in the tabs on my website. There's a tab for business school that talks about the profitable artist method. And Mm -hmm. there's another tab that says the Art of Innovation Workshop. And that's where companies or, uh, you know, a collection of people who want to get together and do a two hour online Zoom workshop to learn how to draw so that you can boost your creative potential and you can use it like an an exercise taking your brain to the gym so yeah you'll find all that information there too so much for coming on today I've really enjoyed talking with you you've raised some points that I've sort of lost along the way somewhere you know especially that about you know keeping in touch with your emotions and your cycle and that kind of stuff so yeah really valuable to have you here and thank you so much for giving me your time today thank you so it's fun to talk with you and your music is beautiful Alison oh thank you (laughs) thank you I appreciate that Oh dear, you have to keep your ear out for the next album, which will hopefully be the end of the year. It's a, it's been a slow process, but I don't mind that. It just happens when it happens and amongst Exciting. everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.